Hi, I'm Marcus. I've been working in the area of ageing and longevity for over 25 years, both here in Australia and right across the world. And I want us to develop new thinking on getting older. Booming the podcast is about unlocking the mysteries of getting older in today's society. It's about understanding the opportunity we have to embrace our new longevity and overcome the challenges that we'll encounter along the way. You might walk past a 93-year-old woman in the shops and think, oh, look at that cute old lady, without realising that she was a very formidable woman in her life. You're one of those old ladies at the gym that they write a piece in the newspaper for because she's still lifting barbells. That's who I want to be. (laughs) Can you imagine? Blasting onto the Australian media scene in 2017, Lise Carlaw and Sarah Wills formed the Those Two Girls duo with local and national radio shows, interviewing household names from formidable politicians to global celebrities and have recently published their first book, 40 Favours the Brave. I was scared coming into my 40s. When you're young, you write off old people because it seems so very, very far away. In this chat, those two girls reveal their learnings from the vast discussions they have had with women and families across different generations and in different phases of life. Do not listen to the rhetoric that things get dull as you age. Like, this is the best part. We're coming into the really juicy stuff now. Welcome to Booming, those two girls. Thank you for inviting us. Now, you've become quite a formidable combination in in recent years, impacting significantly through, as you said, radio and and podcasts and, and now the new book. Can you tell us about that? It took us a year pretty much to write 40 Favours the Brave and the book landed in our laps, I suppose, after we birthed 40 the podcast, which really was a passion project we started when we were still on radio. We were turning 40 that year, so that was 2020, and we genuinely had so many questions ourselves about what this decade was going to hold for us. What does it mean to be a woman in her 40s in this day and age? We we just did didn't know who to turn to because obviously our mother our mother's experiences are so vastly different to what ours sure. are proving to be so we thought imagine how great it would be to sit down with a whole bunch of women we admire women who are well known women who are lesser known and ask them everything we want to know and we were Actually, we weren't really that surprised that 40 took off as much as it did because we realised there's a lot of women who want to hear that kind of stuff too. So the success of the podcast was one thing and then 10 weeks after the podcast landed, we got a phone call from our manager who said, look, I have a few publishers who want to turn this into a book. So So what we've created essentially in 40 Favours the Brave is a compendium of personal tales and musings and advice and real life stories from Lise and me and about 40 other women about the decade that has been their 40s. So by no means are we subject matter experts, but we hope that it will become like the present that anybody gives their friend who's turning 40. And it's really just about both projects, the podcast, the book, it's really about rejecting this idea that 40 is some sort of scary milestone, that the the decline into old age, which is not the way we're living our 40s. And in fact, every 
one we talk to and how Sarah and I feel is that this is actually the beginning of so many exciting things for us. So the book really harnesses um, a lot of positivity, but there are all kinds of stories in there. So, yeah, it's it's something we're really proud of. Lise, with that perspective you were just outlining, do you have that perspective from the outset or was that something that evolved? I, I was... I was scared coming into my 40s. I think I'd bought the myth that women become invisible and you're not desirable anymore, you're not relevant. All of those words were really swirling around my head and without a doubt the process of writing the book, the process of interviewing the women we've spoken to has completely flipped that for me. It has changed that narrative now where... You know, to give you a very, very quick example, prior to writing the book, can I just say both of us, Sarah Sarah and I were both, had both dabbled in Botox. A lot of women at this age do it. Yep. By the time we submitted our final draft, we had both made the decision that Botox was no longer for us. Now, that's a very top line example. Yep. But it's a relatable one. Mm. And... It's just one of the ways my mindset about ageing completely changed. Mine was the death of my mother-in-law, I think, at 39. She died when she was in her 80s from motor neurone disease. But she was a woman, just a, a really lovely woman who'd put so many people first. And she lost her husband in her mid-70s. And that was when I suppose she thought, right, it's finally my time. I can finally go on cruises and do things with my friends. And, um, you know, like so many older women who become widows do. And then she got sick and she never got that time to make those twilight years dreams come true. And I thought, what if, what if that's me? What if you end up doing the things that you don't really want to do? Like Lisa and I were in a job that we hated. What if you keep resenting things and not speaking up about them? If I get to 80, will I look back at anything in my life right now and think, God, I wish I'd, I wish I'd maybe tweaked that or changed it. So for me, that was the, you are essentially hitting the middle of your life. Are you happy with how everything's tracking? If not, what do you need to change and bloody well do something about it? What do you think of this concept of the sandwich generation where people are playing roles for both their, the younger members of their family, whether it's their children or, or others, as well as playing roles for older family members? Are you living it yourself or have you observed um, other people being in this sort of phase of their life? Yeah, well, it's really interesting because for both Lise and me, our grandmothers became grandmothers mm. when they were 38 and 40, respectively. So <laughs> can you imagine? blowing Now, we're not in the stage of life where our parents are in their elderly descent, but I've certainly witnessed my husband go through that with his parents, whom he lost when they were in their 80s. And at the same time, he had, you know, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So, yeah, I think there is a lot of pressure that is put on this particular middle-aged group of women and men to be many things for many people and at different generations. I think there's definitely, I felt that handing over of the of the baton, of the baton. No, baton's right, <laughs> Although, I like the yeah. baton. <laughs> I felt that in my family, uh, both my parents are in really good health, but dad's 74 and mum's 67. And I suppose even though I'm not caring for them in a, in a, from a health 
perspective, there's a consideration there that now exists in my life where... You host Christmas now. (laughs) Everything, everything now is... Uh, more so on me to get the family together, to organise family outings, to make sure, obviously, my immediate family, my children and husband, everyone's happy and cared for, but also are mum and dad feeling good at the moment? Have I been out to visit them? Do I need to check in? Do I need to FaceTime mum? That's the mental load which is such a blessing to have that I still have my two parents. But I feel it's probably something that my husband doesn't think twice about. It's just, it's just a daughter thing, I, I feel. I, I feel like it's a bit of a gendered issue there, more so that the, the daughters of the family maybe take on a little bit more of that, but particularly in your 40s, I have felt it, yes. Do you have a conscious approach to that in terms of whether it's the way you manage your time, uh, the sorts of conversations you might have to make as things continue to evolve in that regard? Like, have you handed them a nursing home brochure yet? <laughs> no, but we have we have spoken about the idea of, you know, there will come a day when there'll be one of them left behind, where the, one will go and the other will, will still be with us. And would either mum or dad want to live with us? Would they feel comfortable with that or would they want us to build them a little granny flat on our land. We have had those conversations because you want to respect your your parents. They're still adults who have agency over their own lives. So, yeah, we've definitely had conversations like that. And they've said, absolutely not. We would not want to live in your house. That sounds absolutely revolting. We would want our granny flat down by the dam. Thank you very much. (laughs) So, you know, at the moment, they're very lighthearted conversations. And I think our parents are quite progressive too. Very much so. Because they have borne witness to older relatives in their lives, perhaps, or people they know who refuse to leave their homes, Mm -hmm. who refuse to make allowances for the fact that if you get to live to a ripe old elderly age, then your lifestyle and your day-to-day living needs to change. You know, for example, my parents at the moment are building a house with the specific idea in mind that they have 10 to 15 years, hopefully, of good living, good able-bodied living in them. They've designed the hallways Mm -hmm. wide enough for wheelie walkers if it comes to that. It's on one level. Like they are very forward forward thinking with that. And I'm so grateful for it because, my God, the girlfriends I have who have been, the girlfriends older than me who have been trying to navigate getting their parents or their grandparents in Mm -hmm. some places to leave their homes, leave their independence and get into care, which I also understand would be a terrifying thing when you're at that pointy end of life. But it is so exhausting and emotionally taxing on them. And back to the sandwich generation, when they're still running around doing all the wife, mother, colleague, boss things that they have to do, I mean, it's a recipe for burnout and and major stress. So I think it's actually an important opportunity to have a chat with the older people in your life. When there's not so much at stake. When there's not as much pressure. Emotions aren't when it's not an emergency. High. Yes. Yeah. What are some tips for family members to initiate those conversations with with their parents or older family members? How how have, what have you found that has worked for you? I mean we talk about it quite casually and 
with a little bit of mirth and humour behind it. I think you just have to be honest and upfront. I mean, we're very lucky to have that relationship yeah, with our parents as well. I feel like I haven't well. had to have that chat because my parents have been all over it. Like, Marcus, they... Mum walked me and my two sisters through the house <laughs> with their will to talk about who was getting what, were we okay with that? Because they've seen how families can get torn apart mm. when nobody knows what's in the will. And their worst nightmare is for them to leave behind three children who don't talk to each other over anything. So I haven't yet had They're to sit productive. down and say, because they're thinking it themselves, they're planning for it themselves. And, and... <laughs> I'm just re remembering an anecdote. I did a big spring clean of the house, which I tend to do every year around Christmas time when I have a considerable amount of time off work. And my mum is an organisational freak. Like the woman is so good at all of those things. So whenever I'm in spring clean mode, she's right there because she loves to see it. And every time we open a cupboard, she'll say to me, when your father and I go, you'll have nothing to worry about because there's only three boxes in the house that count. Everything else has been dealt with. You don't need to make decisions of what you should keep, what you should throw out. I've already done it for you. <laughs> so they are very, very uh, cognizant of making those decisions for themselves before their children mm -hmm, are forced to. to, which is such a gift. Mm. And I hope we'll be like that, Sarah, for our children. Absolutely. It's the only way. Do you get a sense that there's a growing awareness about the role people play for their older family members as well? Well, I think there should be. I think perhaps that was one of the one of the things about getting older is when you're young, you write off old people because it seems so very, very far away. And perhaps the only ones you've ever known have been your grandparents and maybe they're a bit incapacitated or, you know, you go to nursing homes and the old people just seem a bit, they seem a bit scary because that's what elderly life is, you know, is like. It's that sort of slow, slow descent. And then when you, I mean, I found this as my late 30s, certainly in my 40s, you look at old people completely differently. And I think it's so important to try and learn about the person as they were, perhaps when they were younger, rather than however they are as an old person, which may be personality-wise completely different. I mean, grumpy old men syndrome is absolutely a thing. Mm. Um, you meet a man in his 80s, he will not be how his mates remember him in his 40s or 50s. Um, you know, Lise has recently volunteered her time to spend with an old lady just for company, just for, for solace and companionship. I love it. It's been the most eye-opening experience. I, Sarah and I had discussed through our work on 40, that, you know, the, this idea that you get to this age and you do want to give back and we both really like old people, yeah. right? So I found a, a local community group who just do these sort of visitations once a fortnight and it's just been remarkable how much I've learned and how much compassion and, as Sarah said, the idea that, you might walk past a 93-year-old woman in the shops yeah. and think, oh, look at that cute old lady, without realising that she was a very formidable a to be woman in her life. And Once so by getting, looking past the age and finding out their stories and listening and asking questions is the greatest thing you can do, whether it's with an old person in your life, a neighbour down the street, or like Lee's. Yeah. And I, I would say out of all the, the women we've interviewed for 40, 
a lot of them, Marcus, I mean, we have talked about the sandwich generation, but I would say for the most part, the conversations that really stood out are probably the women in their 40s who lost a parent in this decade. I think those conversations were really big and some of them were very, very fresh. And that's, uh, again, when we embarked on this whole 40 concept, that was something that Sarah and I were really scared of. I think before turning 40, you had said this might be the decade we lose our parents. And that is might sound like a very, very dark way to look at the world. But in our interviews with with a lot of these women, they have gone through that. And I think you have to be prepared for what grief does to you in this decade. Um, so those have been really insightful chats. Do you think about and potentially plan for later life? How far forward do you cast your, your mind at the moment? I think I like to imagine the old lady version of myself. And if everyone has the dream of just being someone who, you know, drops off the perch at 93 with all their faculties and they're still driving and, oh, they just went to sleep. Nobody, like what, two people get that. The reality is so many people end up in nursing homes or relying on other people that for me, I think you've got to have some really good memories in the bank to be able to reflect on when you're in that tricky stage of life. So I suppose for me, it's about thinking decide, not slide. So when you get to being an old person, if you're lucky enough, you don't have any regrets. You'll make mistakes, sure, but you won't regret what you've done. I would say at my end, get all the boring stuff done just get it done, find a time, whether it's a post office will or you sit down with someone and you you pay them, you know, uh, a kidney and another organ to get it done (laughs) because they're not cheap. Um, And then also just from a looking after myself, health has become incredibly important. It always has been, but more so now. Don't let go now. This is when you ramp it up. This is when you lift your weights. This is when you find joy in exercising so that you keep, you're one of those old ladies at the gym that they write a piece in the newspaper for because she's still lifting barbells. That's who I want to be. A girlfriend, a close girlfriend of mine said, when you're an old person, you're either paper or you're leather. Okay. Right? Not paper. Delicate, spit like you can't. Like tissue. Tissue. Yeah. Leather, hardy, can do all the things. Out They're the, the people sun. still out there who are like whippersnipping <laughs> their <laughs> people's lawns and lifting things. And, you know, that stayed with me. It's that kind of use it or lose it thing. Not that we're at that stage yet. But, no, not mm. at all. But my boys will say to me all the time, oh, mum, why do you have to go to the gym? Why are you going to hot yoga today? And mm-hmm. I said, listen to me, it's I enjoy it and this is, you're going to thank me in 30 years Mm. because if all goes according to plan, I'll still be able to do stuff for myself. So I said, this is why people look after their bodies. It's in the hope that they remain independent and, and they use their bodies well for as long as they possibly can. You've spoken to a range of different people from different backgrounds and different circumstances and different stages of life. Can you share some examples of inspirations you've drawn from those interactions? I mean, some of the stories that have been covered in the book were incredibly inspiring. Mm. We we spoke to friends who are 
I mean, one of your friends, Jordana, who mm-hmm. left an alcoholic husband and planned it. Planned it, took six months to plan it. With her two, two young sons. Two children. She saved money. She rented a unit. She was ready that when the time would come, she was fine to She's, go. This is information for women, for anyone reading, that is potentially life-changing. So Jordana was an inc- incredibly important interview and piece for me. But Sarah, you spoke to a friend of yours who is letting her hair go completely grey, which we know is a huge movement at the moment. The reasons behind that and the implications of that. And the freedom that she found herself in after she'd done it. We spoke to women who have had um, uh, gastric bypass surgery and have changed their physical selves in their 40s and the reasons behind that, the pros and the cons. Uh, We spoke to a woman who decided to, well, her marriage split up. Both parties were perfectly fine with that, so much so that they're co-parenting but also cohabiting and how that works. They rebuilt a whole house to frame this new existence for themselves like Mm. it's it just opens your eyes to how people are doing life and even there's a a piece called mirror mirror in the book where there are I don't know I've lost count 30 women in our lives whom we asked how do you feel when you look in the mirror in your 40s and the deeply personal answers we got because there now seems to be such a focus on women's changing looks in this decade and how much pressure some women put on themselves, how others handle it. I mean, it's the most beautiful thing to read. And I think my favourite parts in the book are reading about other women's experiences and stories. And it was a real privilege for us yeah. to be able to write them up with their blessing and tell them. We spoke at the outset uh, as to your, your journey, the journey of this partnership. What has surprised you most through that journey so far? I think it's that if you think you've got your life mapped out, you're wrong, that things can change on a dime. I mean, by rights, I should still be in a corporate job in some kind of senior role, uh, navigating life that way because that's what I was doing for the 10 years before I met Lee's. Never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that my mid-30s would have involved meeting a stranger on the internet and ending up with a national radio show, with a book deal, like never. So I think that reminder that it is never too late to change something. And don't get me wrong, your 30s is not late at all. There's still plenty of time. But the exciting thing is that that can happen at any age, like if you're in your 60s and you want to try something new, bloody well do it because you don't want to live life with regrets. And I can remember having that conversation with my husband. Like it was a scary thing to leave stability and this excellent job and launch myself into this unknown world with Lee's. But God, the fire that it ignited inside of me, uh, I'm forever grateful that I did that and had the courage to do it. This whole notion of being in your prime has been turned on its head for me because while Sarah came from a very corporate background in public relations, I came from a fashion world where being in your prime, you had to be between the age of 16 and 20. So I, it's sort of, it's like I aged 
quickly because by the time you reach 22, you're done and dusted in that, in that industry. And then the realisation that that was never where things would take off for me anyway and that two decades later, mm. two decades later was when things yeah. were really going to get interesting. And I think if I could go back to my younger self, and I know it's not this way for everyone. Some people reach their 40s and have a really hard time of it for a whole host of reasons. But for, in our experience, how lucky we are that we're only getting started. And I would go back to younger Lees, younger Sarah, other younger women listening going, do not listen to the rhetoric that's out there that things get dull as you age. Like this is the best part. We're coming into the really juicy stuff now. Yeah. And beyond that, well, I get really grumpy when I'm hungry. Uh, Sarah really... <laughs> I've got a lot is... of red moles on my body now. Um, <laughs> my feet don't look the same as they did when I was younger. Uh, what else? We like to be home and in pyjamas by dusk. Okay. I so actually like us. waking up at 5am now of my own will. <laughs> Who would have thought? All kinds of things. And we're just loving it and embracing it and having fun and poking fun at ourselves and not taking anything too seriously because we have the absolute privilege of not having to. And clearly zero secrets between the two of you. I'd be, I'd be disappointed if there was. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, three quick questions to each of you to wrap up our conversation. Oh, if you could talk to yourself 20 years ago, what's the one piece of advice you would oh, give? I've already said that one. Your turn, Sarah. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> I said that one. I said if, if I had no, to go back to 20-year-old Lees, I'd say the best is yet to come. Your think turn. Think up another one. Okay, I would say you don't have to be the nice girl all the time because I was very focused on always being nice and being liked and being polite. And it meant that there were some situations that I should have dobbed on people, should have spoken up, should have put my needs before others. And as you get, at, well, now, as I've gotten older, I've realised it's okay to do that. The world doesn't crumble. I think Rebecca Sparrow is someone we quoted in the book mm -hmm. who said being nice usually means you put up with a lot of shit. So that would be advice I would give to my younger self. And if I have to chime in, I'll say... Oh, no, no, you've said yours, Lise. You didn't want to add another one. I'd say I'd tell 20-year-old Lise to pretend that she likes camping because she just doesn't and she never will. <laughs> so don't, don't go into a marriage selling the lie that you like camping. Okay, because then you're going to have a really difficult conversation with your husband and say, I lied. I lied the whole time. I hate it. Go without me. <laughs> what is the greatest thing about getting older? Oh, I think it's just that relief when the puzzle pieces start falling into place and you can make sense of why you are the way you are. Yeah, that nobody around you is perfect, including you, so... Stop trying to be. And there's a real freedom in that. Mm. There's a real freedom in sort of following on from what Lee's is saying. Nobody's looking at you. Just do your thing. One thing you wish for in your future. Oh, not another book. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, there were goodness. some tense months there, Marcus. <laughs> 
Well, on a professional level, I hope that I always continue to ride on Lisa's coattails <laughs> and, you know, continue to try and sort of connect to people by being ourselves and, and through a bit of laughter. And on a personal level, I hope I live to be 95 and I look back on this book and think, you knew nothing. That would be really <laughs> exciting if there is still, you know, decades and decades and decades of learning and discovering new parts to myself. It's quite oh, nice. I'll write that down in case right, somebody writes it again. That was beautiful. Uh, I would say Sarah and I have always spoken about being elderly companions. Um so that'd be nice. Yeah, it, it does make our husbands uncomfortable, but <laughs> they just have to be okay with it. And I think part of that, whether our husbands, I mean, gosh, I hope they do stick around. I am quite <laughs> fond of him. But I would say what I learned writing this book, which I had heard about before, but not in so much detail, is a woman's life is in four parts. The maiden phase, when you're a, a, a young girl. The mother phase, if that's how you choose to, you know, have children. Marga phase, which is what we're in, uh, coming into 40s and 50s. And then the crone phase, which is these incredibly wise, older women who know a whole lot of stuff. And I just want to be a really cool crone you know she wears sneakers she's a little bit crazy she says what she thinks but she can still have fun with her children and her grandchildren she still is interested in what's going on in the world and she has friends in every decade I really hope I don't stop having friends who are younger than me older than me I, I think yeah that's what I hope it's quite the long list well, then you're not going to be my elderly companion if you're going to be crotchety like this. Marcus just said one thing. I well, think you've got too bad. It's, I'm a cool old crone, okay? Please, <laughs> Carlo, cool old crone. That was a really fun chat with Lise and Sarah who shared their own fascinating insights as to the roles of family members, the importance of planning. It's this new thinking that we really believe is so important as we aim to age better irrespective of what stage of life we're actually in. To access more tools to support your planning and better ageing, please go to the Booming website, booming.net.au.